This is Podco Media Networks. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Peace Love Plants podcast. I'm your host, Marco Knox, aka the Phytogenic Chef. This week, Robbie Ballinger is back on the show for the second half of his two-part interview. If you missed last week's episode, allow me to provide some context for you. Robbie is a plant-based ultra-endurance athlete that ran from Los Angeles to New York, 3,175 miles in 75 days. His mission? To inspire positive change and show the validity of a plant-based diet. Running from LA to New York fueled entirely by plants? Safe to say that he accomplished said mission. In this episode, we dive into his awe-inspiring run, and Robbie shares some of the challenges that he endured during his 75 days out on the open road, some of which almost forced him to stop. But as you will soon hear, the mind is powerful, and overcoming your own fears and welcoming the challenge can have a profound, positive impact on your life. So lace up those running shoes, because you're about to receive a healthy dose of inspiration that is sure to fuel your runs for days to come. Robbie Ballinger. Welcome back to Peace Love Plants. How's life feel today, man? Oh, it's great, man. It's glad to be back on the show. Yes. Thank you for joining me again. I'm really excited today because we get to finally talk about your run. What did it end up being? Just north of 3,100 miles? Something like that? Yep. I went from uh, Huntington Beach to south of Los Angeles to Central Park, uh, 3,175 miles in 75 days, averaging 43 miles a day. Wow. That's that's simply amazing. And we're going to talk a lot about a lot of those miles. But let's start here. On our last episode, Robbie, we discussed everything leading up to the actual day of the run. But now it's Saturday, March 16th, and you're in Huntington Beach, California, the day you've been training an entire year for, right? What was it like in that moment? And what were you thinking as you took your first stride? Yeah, it was uh, a very profound morning. I woke up a little earlier than everyone else. It was very beautiful, just um, just the orange sky overlooking the ocean, Huntington Beach Pier in front of me. And there were definitely some butterflies in the stomach. It was a little different, though, even than any race I had done prior because the length of it. We're talking 75 days. Yeah. <laughs> it's a blip in time. So there's not a high level of intensity that goes into an event like this. You have to keep everything really calm. So at the start, it was just trying to stay as calm as possible. And I had a just beautiful group of people that showed up to send me off. Uh, My crew was there. Some friends showed up that I wasn't expecting. Uh, My sponsors were there. It was really, really beautiful. And then also surprised by, um, who's now become a good friend. Rich Roll was there. And at the time it was somebody that I just looked up to, he is, you know, just listening to his podcast. I think uh, I find it just to be an excellent um, podcast, but he was there and wanted to run some miles with me. So that added to the excitement and yeah, just one big step and on my way to hit my watch, turned it on and we were off the pier and making <laughs> our way towards New York City. That's awesome. So we talked about in the last show, a, a few things along the journey that become catalysts in retrospect. And you mentioned Rich Roll and his book, Finding Ultra, for me, was one of those books, one of those moments in my life where I think I put the book down in the final sentence and I immediately got on my bike. I went and bought a road bike the next day. <laughs> uh-huh. I told my wife, I said, I'm changing life. Like, yeah, I'm an we'll athlete now. It, yeah. it fired me up, right? <laughs> so uh, I'm curious, how many miles did Rich lay down with you? 
Um, it was, I think about the first 10, he was out there, you know, we were running pretty slow. So he, he spent a little, you know, hour and a half, two hours out there with me. And we chatted, chatted with everyone else that was running out of Huntington beach with me. And yeah, it was a really good time and just really appreciate his support. Cause he really helped me to gain an audience there in the beginning that might've taken me a little bit longer to amass. No doubt. So you start out in Southern California heading East and I've driven across the country twice, which Sounds pretty lame talking to a guy that ran across the country. But my point is this. It's pretty rugged as you enter exit Los Angeles. A lot of people don't realize that. I mean, it's mountainous and dry. I mean, desert dry. And then you run through northern Arizona and get to Flagstaff, which is also very mountainous. I think you got there on day 13 or 14, if I'm not mistaken. How tough were those first two weeks just pushing through that that rugged landscape? Yeah, the first two weeks. So going into this, I met with a couple of people with whom had done this or something similar. And they definitely, one of the big things is the takeaways I got was if you can make it through the first two weeks, you're going to be all right, but your body's going to go through a lot. It's an adaptation phase. And I was definitely going through that. Um, your body's realigning for this task at hand is, and along with your mind. And a lot of that comes down to it wants to stop and you have to continue to tell it no over and over. So there was a lot of that. Um, first day was quite easy. Just cruise through the day knew what I needed to do, was completely fresh. And then right away the second morning, it really hit. Okay, here we go. This is going to be, I'm in it for the long haul. And um, coming out of, yeah, come out of Los Angeles, very urban day two, kind of half the day was spent in, again, like a more urban area. And then it started to really, everything started to dwindle away. And I was left with myself and the road and not a lot else and a lot of elevation. I think I climbed 4,500 feet on day two. And um, yeah, that was when it all really set in. Day three, uh, coming through Barstow, anyone who's been around that area can tell you it's quite desolate. There's not a lot going on. And um, day three was one of the most profound days as far as really having to dig deep and get through some things. I hallucinated that day. I was in a very strange place throughout the morning. I had this irrational fear of a dog coming out to bite me. My senses were really elevated. Cars passing was really a lot for me to take. Uh, I was cowering every time a big truck would come by. And a lot happened that day. I pushed through a lot of demons and a lot of stuff and came out the other side feeling stronger. But yeah, first two weeks were a major roller coaster. I incurred shin splints on day seven, had to fight through that for about four or five days and made some adjustments in my gear, my shoes I was wearing and some other things and was able to overcome it. And the great thing about overcoming these obstacles is with each one you overcome, you gain more confidence and you feel strong in the ability to persevere and make it through this pretty strenuous endeavor. So the hallucination, that's fascinating to me. What do you believe in hindsight now brought that on? Was it just your mind wanting you to stop and pulling out everything it could to force you to stop? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was cumulative amounts of day three. I was exhausted. I had not slept hardly at all. I was dealing with a lot of pains in my legs that I wasn't anticipating and it was keeping me from sleeping. So there was sleep deprivation, there was exhaustion. I think uh, your body starts to change on uh, like even a hormonal level. And there was just a lot going on. I don't really know how to explain it all, but it is just an adaptation and that my everything was wanting to resist what I was wanting to put it through. And it was just playing with all of those things. And yeah, it was giving its last-ditch effort to say no, and I just had to say, yes, we're going to do this. Broke through. Nothing yeah. like that in any of your previous runs you've ever experienced? 
I never hallucinated from running ever. Uh, it was not something that was in my repertoire of things to deal with. I assumed it would happen at some point on this run. I didn't know it'd be day three, but I broke through it about halfway through the day and it was uh, a transformative experience for sure. So day seven was the shin splints, right? Uh-huh. How do you deal with that? I mean, you're out in day seven. I'm picturing now because you're not quite to Flagstaff. You're pretty much in the desert, right? Yeah, it was coming. Yeah, I guess, yeah, coming towards Flagstaff. That was kind of where we were setting our sights at that point. But um, I came in one night at a really long day and I kind of did what I call in running ghosting out to where you get to a point in ultras where your body just continues to do what it has to do, but your mind has let go. And that had happened that evening, which is not somewhere I wanted to go during this run because I needed to stay healthy and make sure I didn't push my body too far. But in that experience of just depleted, tired, I let that happen. And in that is where I incurred the injury. And I came in that evening and there was sharp pains in my shin. I knew what it was. I didn't want to believe it. We went ahead and had dinner. I went to bed hoping for the best in the morning. And the next day it was just, there were lumps on my shin. It was pretty obvious what had happened. And from there, it was just, okay, how do we overcome this? And I had to walk a little bit that day or pretty much that whole day, hike to power hike. And with elevating my leg as much as possible and starting to try to understand you know, what was in our wheelhouse that we could do to overcome it. And what we found over time is I had to change into a shoe with a lot more padding and a bigger drop. So the toes were sitting lower than the heel in the shoe, which gave me this wedge that allowed me to just push my foot along and also changed from crew socks into ankle socks. And as much as it was a physical thing to overcome, again, it was more of a, it was also the mental, the mental side of these are the types of injuries that in running or any sports, when it happens, your trainer, your doctor's going to say to rest, to elevate, and hopefully you can get back to it in a couple of weeks. But that was just out of the wheelhouse. I just had to continue to go. Yeah. And I knew through this, the only thing that was going to stop me would be an injury. I was not going to allow my mind or anything else to stop this pursuit, but there's certain injuries that can happen that your body just won't allow you to continue. And this was the first time I faced anything like that. So there was a lot of fear. But then again, in overcoming it is where you gain your strength and your power to persevere is, okay, well, I did overcome that. So what else can you throw at me? Let's keep going and see what's next. Did you get to a point where you're like, there can't be anything else. I've overcome just about anything I can imagine. <laughs> like I've now it's just let's run, right? <laughs> yeah. And that happened uh, right around day 30. Uh, so I made it through the shin splints, continued on my way. And then I think it was day 18, 19, I got tendonitis in the other ankle. And it actually brought me closer to not being able to continue. I actually did have to take a day off. I took day 20 off. It was the only day that I took off from the whole event. And that was just due to the fact I couldn't even walk, much less run. Allowed my leg to have that day to rest along with my mind. Up until that point, I'd really been purely just brute force. I'd been forcing this experience and was taken off my feet, put on my back, had to take the day to rest. And through that, came to embrace the magnitude of what I had in front of me and knew I was going to have to go with the flow a little bit more than I had in the weeks prior and came up day 21, still had quite a bit of a pain in that leg, but again, through adjustments was able to overcome it. And by day 30, I felt pretty sustainable. And at that point it was okay. Let's just get this done. Let's just get through it, have as much fun as possible. Understand there's going to be days that are harder than others. Some will be, easier than others and just embrace whatever's in front of me, live in the moment and make my way to New York City. So not looking too far ahead. And 
what kind of fuel are you putting in your system to power yourself through this type of run? I mean, it's was dehydration an issue for you at all? Do you think any of the leg issues were as a result of that, or was that not an issue? No, I did a really good job with hydration. Uh, throughout this whole event, I was able to keep in mind that hydrating and eating properly were that was my fuel. That was the only way I was going to get through this. So it became just a thing of necessity as much as breathing and putting one foot in front of the other was. And I think I stayed on top of those things really well. I only drank about probably cumulatively less than a gallon of water the whole run. Everything else was water plus. The whole run? Yeah. So just water, straight water, uh, H2O, oh, okay. very little of that. It was all <laughs> supplemented with scratch, which is a uh, hydration mix. So it was helping to keep my salts up and sugars and actually had some calories in it as well. So just constantly drinking along the way, I pretty much the whole time ran with a hydration pack on and I was stopping every five miles to rehydrate, to re-up my water or my scratch and then also eat. So I was consuming between seven and 8,000 calories a day. And that was where through that, um, I had a great crew chief and nutritionist who's actually my sister-in-law to be. Jackie Howard, she's actually a plant-based nutritionist and is pursuing that as a career now. And um, I really put a lot of faith in her and her plan for me to execute this. And she was spot on. The um, nutrition plan was perfect. It's a lot though. It's very laborious to consume 8,000 calories a day. I was eating 11 times a day. Every five miles I would stop and consume some plant-based calories, but the plant-based part of it you know, was the mission of this run was to con create conversations about food choices and show the validity of a plant-based diet. But it also was something in my wheelhouse that was to my advantage. I was consuming foods that were building my body up instead of breaking it down. I was eating a diet that everything I was putting in was didn't have a lot of inflammatory uh, agents in it. So I was able to continue and I didn't have soreness in ways that had I been eating cheeseburgers and stuff of that nature, I think I would have found. And just consuming that many calories, I don't understand how I would have done it had it not been plant-based because it was light and it was easy on the system. So yeah, it, the plant-based part of this was a, uh, the reason for the run, but also it was the solution to the run. It was what allowed me to do this. It's amazing. It's like plant-based is a silver bullet. It fixes so many things, not just only fuel, but you touched on it in the last episode about the environment. It's an amazing solution. I'm really looking forward to the day where it's more, um, it's becoming mainstream, but it's even more mainstream than it is now. It's just a way of life. It is. And it's interesting. The tides are turning. You know, we have a lot of that people out there providing examples as I did. Um, other people, we now have the game changers that came out recently on Netflix. And I think the awareness is there and that people are understanding it. For me, there were three tiers that go into a plant-based lifestyle and it being environmental performance and ethical. All three things that, you know, we need to be looking at as a society. We have environmental crisis in front of us that we've already spoke of. We're heading towards a country where the predominantly people are obese. Um, we need to talk about that. And that's silver bullet there, as you said. And then I think we're in a point of a spiritual crisis in front of us as well. And people are really disconnected from a lot of things, their spirit being one of them. And the amount of suffering that we are inflicting on other beings that we don't have to, we can eliminate through a plant-based diet as well. So those three tiers, I think, are things that really matter. And if we address them all through our food choices, we'll be looking at a, a brighter and healthier planet for ourselves and for the future. When you consume fear and suffering, because let's face it, that's what these animals are going through before their your meal, per se. Are you familiar with Dr. Bruce Lipton by any chance? Have you ever heard of him? Um, a little bit, you know, 
you could probably school me on it quite a bit, though. <laughs> I won't attempt to do that, but I'll just give you a quick his study of epigenetics at the cellular level. If you take in a cell that was had fear in it, you're literally consuming fear. It literally becomes you. So for me personally, and I think I heard you speak about it, when I quit eating all animal products, it was as if this new spirit, this new life was in me now. I felt happier. My cognitive thoughts were clearer. And I attribute that to no longer consuming fear, literally, through my food. So it's interesting stuff. If you get a chance to check out Dr. Bruce Lipton, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't agree more about that. I mean, we consume like energy doesn't cease to exist. You know, energy is always going to find a way. And if these animals are under, again, like you just as you're saying, a high stress environment, they're stressed out They're those things, they go into the next thing that consumes them. And you see it all. You see it all throughout society right now. And it's nice to think of, you know, if we ate, you know, grass fed free range animals, that'd be wonderful. But we just don't. That isn't the reality. And that crutch is what people say is just not a lot of people can do that. And 95% of the meat that's being processed and fed to people in the United States right now is definitely coming from factory farms. And factory farms are not good for anybody. They're not good for the beings that are being housed in them. And they're not good for the people consuming the meat that comes out of them. Yeah, they're horrible all the way around. I mean, just the, the fresh water consumption that they use, the impact on our quality of air. I mean, all of it. You can just go down the list and it's just negative impacts that that industry is causing. Absolutely. So talk to me about Oklahoma. That seemed like a really, yeah, that seemed like a pretty long run. Was it, what was it? Seven, eight, nine days or am I? It was 11, 11 or 12. Wow. I understand that. So like visualizing it on a map, you just look at that top flat line of Oklahoma and I ran the whole thing. It was the biggest state. It was the longest I was in one. And, you know, the people in Oklahoma are absolutely beautiful, wonderful people. And the topography is beautiful. But when you look at the same topography for that many days, it gets a little old. So I felt like I was on a treadmill for the good portion of Oklahoma. Just, you know, put your head down, run and look up. And it looked just like it did before you did that the last time. <laughs> so it was an interesting uh, part of the run for sure. It's, a, it's a definitely a, a point of a lot of humor and jokes have come out of Oklahoma with me and my crew. It was a very interesting time in the run. <laughs> I spent some time in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're right. The people there are fantastic. I mean, yeah. just salt of the really earth. Really wonderful of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of wonderful people uh, along your run, were there any people that stood out to you that you, to this day, or maybe there's many, I'm sure there's many, that during your run that you never knew you'd meet, but just were like, man, that guy blew my mind. Yeah. The community of the Navajo Nation was a big prominent uh, theme of the run for me, of people who really affected me deeply. Um, I didn't expect or know that we were going to be going through the Navajo Nation to the degree we did. It took about eight days. So that being northeastern Arizona and northwestern New Mexico. And the people there I found to be beautiful. They were open. They were very um, supportive of what I was doing. And they were very, very aware that there were some issues in their community around food and that there were things that they needed to work on and a lot of things that were out of their control. You want to talk about a food desert, go to an Indian reservation. It's unfair. It's unfair what's happening to those people. But their spirit is strong in this, the way that they are stewards over their land. There's a lot that we could learn from them. As a whole, that community impacted me quite a bit. I'll say one thing is going into the run, I was looking at it as this opportunity to 
share the message and the reality that a plant-based diet was something that was feasible. And I expected to meet a lot of people who didn't even know what a plant-based diet was. I, I thought, you know, I would meet people similar to my 19-year-old self, and this would be such an epiphany. But the reality is, is we live in an information age where people are all aware of a plant-based diet, but seeing an example of it, I think was something that they had not seen. And that was impactful to people. I didn't have any naysayers along the way. There was no one who laughed at me through my, no, no one was against my mission. And I mean, even dairy farmers, uh, cattle farmers, they'd give a grin and we'd have a little chuckle about it because it was obvious what they were out there doing and what I was doing, but they were not combative and they weren't, no one told me what I was doing was dumb or that I couldn't make it with the diet I chose. More so what, what I heard was a lot of people that were discontent with their own health and the health of their community, and they wanted to make change. And a big takeaway for me was is that as progressive as the plant-based food industry is and how much we are striving to get people involved in this new way of living, we don't need to forget about those who sit in middle America and in those little nicks and crannies that are forgotten about in a lot of other aspects in life. And we need to be talking to those people because they care and they want to see change in their communities and they're open, but people have to come there and they have to invest the time and the resources to open up these food choices to those people because food deserts, I mean, there's different varying levels of that. We definitely have places where people are having to eat at fast food or not even fast food, but at gas stations or where they're getting their food. And then all the way to, you know, now a big step for me is after the run is trying to figure out mechanisms to get fresh vegetables into people's hands. And so, yeah, just understanding that there's a lot of that still that needs to be done. But if people can go and show up in those communities, people are willing and ready to receive a new way of, of looking at things. Yeah, food deserts are, people don't think about it in middle America, but they are, like you said, they're everywhere. And uh, I really like the fact that you're trying to think of a way to get fresh produce and food to those regions of the nation. It's got me thinking, like, what can I do to contribute to that, too? Because you're right, there's just so many people out there that don't have access to what so many of us just take for granted, like an apple. Yeah, I mean, it's not even, you know, if they had the desire to have it, they still can't find it. It's unbelievable, and it's something that we would all need to be working towards finding solutions for. But back to the question of just beautiful people, people that impacted me out there. There were a lot, and I had a lot of people that came out and ran with me and wanted to support me in my efforts that were complete strangers you know, there's a handful of them that I now count as friends of mine. And it was really amazing. And, you know, an effort such as this, when you're out running from 11 to 18 hours a day, if you get people out running with you, you have this ability to just really hone in and start talking to people. And you learn a lot about each other because there's no distractions. There's no cell phones. There's no all these things that distract us. It's just one foot in front of the other on, on the side of the road. And a lot of beautiful conversations came out of it. A lot of new friendships and just really amazed at the human spirit and definitely have a lot more optimism about humans and about our community, our larger community as a whole, as a nation, that we can overcome a lot of barriers if we will sit down our phones and quit judging people off of the updates on our phone. We're polarized into two camps right now, and you're going to read stuff about the other camp, and you're going to think horrible things about them. And there are some social issues that we need to address and there's a one side that's right and there's one side that's wrong, but all in all, people are good and we need to start viewing each other as that and try to come together instead of pushing each other apart. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, you know, when you're you're out there doing what you did, you get back to the base level, which is humanity. We're all humans. We're all in this together. Absolutely. And we don't we, we don't have to talk about these other things on the outside, but 
at the base level, we're all humans and we do connect and we all want to do better no matter what it is that we're doing. That's really refreshing for me to hear that you experience that out there. Yeah, there was a lot of optimism that came out of the experience. So you're getting closer to New York. What is the feeling inside of you and your crew as you're entering New York and you're about to hit your last stride? Were you just completely wiped, like, I can't wait for this to be over? Or what was it like? As far as energy levels, I was actually on top. I was feeling really strong. I got stronger and stronger as I went, as I made it through the Great Plains and everything. My days, I was getting faster and faster. I hit the Appalachians and everything fell apart. The wheels fell off. It was it was really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, those mountains, they just like, they're relentless and you just keep pushing and they don't stop. So, but it was really great. And then getting through that, it flattens back out and I entered into New York feeling really strong. I equate a lot of that to the plant-based diet. It really helped me to stay on top instead of dwindling into nothing. But there was a lot of excitement in the air. 75 days is a long time, and it was time to get off the road. I was excited for that. But I also had the awareness to understand I would probably never get to relive anything like this again. So for as much as I was anxious to be done, I tried to breathe in every moment as much as possible. But um Yeah, it was really beautiful. I felt really supported. I had a lot of people show up in New York and crossing over the George Washington Bridge. That was when it got real. I was like, oh my gosh, there's New York City. Here we go. Yeah. Wow. That just had to be such an amazing feeling for you and your entire crew. Because I mean, they're there the whole way. They're emotionally vested. it's, It's all of it, right? It was. So you touched on what's next for you being perhaps helping others get fresh, clean food. Is that really something that you're, you're pioneering or what is next for you now that you've got the run out of the way and you've got this platform, this audience of people that are going to listen to you? Yeah. So as far as for me, athletics wise, I'm still trying to figure out what that next big goal is. Uh, I definitely want to continue to be an example of what's possible in a plant-based diet, but I also feel like that part of the work is getting done. You know, we see it happening again, talking about game changers and stuff of that nature. So I want to continue that for the reasons of the the plant-based mission, but also just because it's what I love to do. But then I'm also, again, as yeah, what you just mentioned, I mentioned prior looking for mechanisms to get plant-based options into people's hands. And I think it's really great what we're seeing right now with Beyond Meat, the Impossible Burger, all of these things. But we need to also be making sure we're talking about whole food plant-based diet as well and the mechanism for getting that food to people and understanding that moving to a plant-based diet is environmentally a positive. But even within that, we need to be looking how to be the most efficient. As I came through my evolution of food and understanding a plant-based diet, I had a good friend who was also doing something similar, but in a different way. And he had created a company called Let Us Grow and developed through that company, these hydroponic farm stands. So the idea being is you can grow a 45 square foot garden off of a six foot tower with 95% less water, do it in your home and have nutrient rich vegetables at your disposal in your house. It's like as farm to table as you can actually be. So I've actually started working with him and trying to devise ways to get these products to more people. For every 10 of them that we sell, we're going to give one away to a community in need. And so I'm right now just working through what it's going to look like me being a part of that company and community, I find that these innovative products such as that are the future that are what we need in order to create the future that we all want. So just innovative ways to get vegetables into people's hands. And if we can get these towers spread across the nation, that's one step in in a positive direction. I love it. I love it. Well, we're getting close to, uh, setting this thing down. 
Is there anything that uh, you wanted to say that I may have left out? Um, I think, you know, it's just been really great talking with you. I think the biggest thing for me is for people to take away from it is that if you're thinking about a plant-based diet, I hope this pushes you one step closer. It's a viable diet for whatever you might be doing, whether it be living your everyday life or trying to run across the country. Um, You'll be better off for it on a health standpoint. And it's also going to be better for your community, uh, whether that be your smaller community of your family, all the way up to the community of our world. And just small incremental steps towards positive change is what we all need to be working towards. So I just encourage everybody to be your best self and just keep seeking truths that work for you and are going to be better for your community. And I just really appreciate being on on the podcast here with you today. I love it. The honor was mine. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, both of our episodes together. And uh, thank you kindly for your time and sharing your amazing story with me and all of our listeners. It was a true pleasure to get to talk to you today, Robbie. Thank you. Thank you. What is the first thing that comes to your mind after listening to Robbie Bounds talk about his mission and run? For me, I would have to say inspiring. His run across the United States is an example of how you can truly do whatever it is you set your mind to. Throw in a positive mission, and well, you've got yourself a field that just keeps on burning. I'm humbled by how gracious and giving Robbie is. When I reached out to request an interview, he was embarking on yet another epic run. This time, he was in Peru, but he still took the time to schedule our interviews. Humbled. Moreover, I fully subscribe to what he stands for, and the next chapter of his mission is one that I can't wait to see play out. My takeaways? Seek truth, spread positivity, and stay steadfast. Your next breakthrough could be at any moment. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Robbie as much as I did, and perhaps you found some nuggets of knowledge and perspective that will help you along in your journey. That's all for this episode, but please come back next week and listen to my talk with Ryan O'Donnell, founder of the living beverage company, Salty, and Permaculture Planet. He's a brilliant mind in doing business the right way, from the heart. Until then, peace, love, and plants. 